New York City is laden with train tracks below ground, above ground, and at times on street level. These tracks in various conditions show the city's evolution throughout the most recent centuries, having thrived on serving America as a gateway to the world. There was a time that both the rolling stock and these stations that serviced the tracks were created for more than just a pragmatic purpose, but as a projection of stature, dignity, and wealth. Among them once stood the world's most beautiful train station, sought after for its towering canopies, with light shining through the thousands of glass windows. This is the story of Pennsylvania Station, New York's lost marvel. I'm your host, Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. The second half of the 19th century was a critical time for the development of train transportation in New York City. Networks extended between Philadelphia north to Jersey City and they were robust, but crossing the Hudson River remained a major obstacle. East of Manhattan was the Long Island Railroad Company which ended at the East River, meaning that no matter what latitude passengers approached, a boat ride was needed to access Manhattan. On the flip side, New York's Central Railroad already served Manhattan, which was unacceptable to competitors. The only solution was to do the unimaginable tunnel under the river. So in 1902, the contract for building the river tunnel was signed and in 1904, construction was underway. The first leg of construction included digging two shafts just east of 11th Avenue, a few hundred yards east of the river shore. One moment that scared investors was when the New York State Legislature prohibited steam engines from entering Manhattan after July the 1st, 1908, recalling the dangers of pollution accumulation in small spaces, an issue that could be resolved by swapping out the steam engine locomotives for electric ones before crossing the river. After years of drilling and blasting, the tunnels opened on November the 27th, 1910, as did our prized Penn Station. Considering the fact that this was the first time Manhattan had direct train service to the south, and that this station would be every passenger's first sight of New York City, a statement needed to be made. And it was at the cost of $100 million, or over three billion dollars when adjusted for inflation, architect Charles McKim would see to it that Penn Station would impose the stylings of Beaux-Arts, celebrating the entrance to one of the great metropolitan cities of the world. He studied the role of public buildings in ancient Rome, ultimately outlying a plan that called for a massive terminal with three floors and 25 passenger tracks. The land purchase of the station occurred in early 1902, with the plot occupying 7th and 9th Avenue between 31st and 33rd Street. Developers also bought up plots along the north side of the future station to create a pedestrian walkway, displacing thousands of residents from an African-American community in the process. Naturally, many affected condemned the project, but to little avail. Laborers began laying stonework for the station in June of 1908, completing the masterpiece only 13 months later. The official opening was on August the 29th, 1910. Travelers from Manhattan could now take trains directly to Chicago, St. Louis, 
Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and far beyond. For the first time in New York City's history, I want you to seriously consider what this meant for the future of Manhattan and how, relatively speaking, this massive advancement happened hardly a century ago today. On the station's opening day, it was visited by over 100,000 people. Although the construction process of the station was a major accomplishment in and of itself, the completion of the river tunnel is what stole the headlines. That said, it was appreciated that this station was special because it was on par with many of the world's most prized pieces of architecture, living up to the standards of the greatest empires throughout time. When the station opened, it could serve about 144 trains per hour on 21 tracks and 11 platforms. In the early days, there were 1,000 trains scheduled every weekday and only accessible to two companies. In fact, the station was such a hit that an additional 51 trains to Westchester County and Connecticut were added to the schedule in 1917 when the Hellgate Bridge was opened. Popular long-distance routes, including Chicago and St. Louis, enabled passengers to make connections to other railways. There was also a side effect of suburbia in the first decade as two-thirds of daily travelers were commuters. Furthermore, the station was very well maintained because it was frequented by VIP guests. The President of the United States would arrive and depart on tracks 11 and 12, as well as international royalty and world leaders. As New York grew, further capacity demand was put on Penn Station. Expansion of waiting rooms, traveler amenities, and longer platforms were all installed. What's more, direct connections to New York's subway system via the station on 7th and 8th Avenue were provided by electrifying a third rail. Consequently, this move opened service to commuter trains from Trenton and Newark in 1933. And by 1935, Penn Station had served over a billion passengers in a class fit for world leaders. Perhaps the first sign that things were about to change also occurred in 1935, when Greyhound Lines built a bus terminal just north of Penn Station facing 34th Street. At minimum, this would be an unsightly omen of the future of planet Earth's proudest train station. The terminal from 1935 quickly fell into disorder as it was frequented by low-level criminals and was also facing competition from the Port Authority's bus terminal located seven blocks north of Penn Station. By the Second World War in 1945, the Port Authority's new bus station was at its peak, surpassing the accumulative passenger count of Penn Station. With the public's gravitation towards bus travel compounded by new modes of transportation offered by the so-called jet age and the interstate highway system developing, the famous station started to look a little bit more like a ghost town. Rather rapidly, the beautiful, sprawling halls and archways of Penn Station would no longer be graced by the likes of royalty, Rather, they became an appealing domicile for undesirables. 1947 was the first year that the station lost money, and by the 1950s, revenue was so poor that affording basic maintenance became an issue. The grand columns were covered with plastic, and the spacious central hallway was blocked off. Lewis Mumford probably said it best in his article from The New Yorker in 1958. He said, 
nothing further that could be done to the station could damage it. When the ideas for a wrecking ball were brought up, even Penn Station's greatest admirers would have a very hard time making their case. Advertisements surrounded the concourse. A layer of dirt covered the structure and the pink granite was stained gray. A New York Times article made another very insightful remark about this period, exclaiming, The tragedy is that our own times not only could not produce such a building, but cannot even maintain it. And so it was. The spell was cast. In 1954, the Pennsylvania Railroad optioned their air rights of the world's most beautiful station to real estate developer William Zackendorf. In 1954, another monument to humanity would be lost. Although the train shed would remain below ground, development of a commercial space became possible in the air. Ideas ranging from a World Trade Center to a sporting complex were considered, initially settling on the new Madison Square Garden, announced in 1962. This was probably the best possible outcome, as the owners of the underground Penn Station would get air conditioning, a zero-cost station, and a 25% stake in the new venture. The truth is that the cost of upkeeping a station for the sake of historic preservation was prohibitive. Additionally, in the time that the station was demolished, it had already lost its charm. Rather, it was a part of the city to be avoided. And as sickening as the demolition of Penn Station was, I challenge you to consider what it may have become. If Penn Station was already a seedy part of New York back then, imagine what it might look like today and how the entire area around it may have evolved. I never thought I'd say this about the demolition of such a beautiful building, but with that image in my mind, I suppose that Madison Square Garden was the better of two evils. So despite international outrage, demolition began on October the 28th, 1963, with a giant steel deck being placed above the tracks and platforms so that rail service could continue uninterrupted. By the summer of 1966, much of the station had already been demolished. Very few artifacts were preserved, but after a New York Times photographer captured the sculpture Day in a New Jersey Meadowlands landfill, salvage efforts were made. Of the 22 Eagle sculptures on the station's exterior, the location of 14 are known, with two remaining in New York City. The Eagle Scout Memorial Fountain in Kansas City, Missouri contains a complete, intact day and night sculpture from the station, including the small eagles and winged hourglass. The Brooklyn Museum has saved one of the station's iconic columns and the beautiful night statue. At the station itself, a few layout features remain, such as vault lights in the original flooring as seen from below, and a historic staircase with brass and iron handrails between tracks 3 and 4. Others have been replaced by escalators. The Penn Station Service Building, which is off-site but built in 1908 to provide electricity and heat to the station, survived the demolition. But in 2020, a southward expansion of Penn Station was proposed, which would most definitely doom this structure to a wrecking ball as well. So why is this tale of urban decay so tragic? In the demolition of Pennsylvania Station, we lost far more than a work of art. We lost our dignity. 
You see, there was a time not so long ago when travelers would not even be permitted to board an airplane without the proper attire. In contrast to the state of total filth and disarray we can see at any American airport, shopping mall, or even government building, you have to ask yourself, how did people become this way? And as much as I'd like to blame the individual, it would seem that when cities reduced their citizens' prestige by demolishing monuments and replacing them with eyesores, you really shouldn't be so surprised when people don't even bother getting out of their pajamas to take a train. In my mind, the demolition of this great station was a logical business decision, but it came at an extreme cost to society. Progress is the enemy of tradition, but when you remove tradition, people have no foundation. So progress might lead you to places you'd rather not go. Or in other words, as Yale architectural historian Vincent Scully put it, one entered the city like a god, one scuttles in now like a rat. Help keep the story of Penn Station alive by sharing this video with a friend. And for more tales of urban decay, subscribe to its history, check out our daily channel stories, this is Ryan Sokash signing off.